Hey there, and welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. My name is Sam, and this episode for me was an absolute privilege to record. I know you're going to love this one. I've brought in an amazing individual, an incredible human being, and someone who is going to shed a little bit of light on some of those big questions that we ask about this digital world that we live in. I've brought in to have a chat with us the amazing Michael McQueen. He is a trend forecaster, best-selling author of nine books, and an award-winning keynote speaker. Michael is going to answer for us some of those questions I get asked every single day, like, is Facebook dead? What's happening in the world of social media? What's trending? What's coming in the future? What do we need to look out for? And I even asked some questions I personally wanted to know about what is going on for our kids in the world of social media as well right now. I know you are going to love this episode. You're going to want to have that pen and paper ready because Michael throws a ton of awesome information our way. I am so grateful he was able to join us in this episode. I know you're going to love it. So tune on in, grab that cup of tea or coffee, get ready and enjoy. Hey, everybody, and welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. My name is Sam, and I am so excited for today's episode. I have the amazing Michael McQueen joining us today. Welcome on in, Michael. Thank you so much. Good to be part of the discussion. Oh, awesome. I know that there's going to be so much magic come out of this conversation. I'm super excited to hear what you've got to share with us. But just to sort of kick off, for those that are unfamiliar with who you are and what you do, uh, would you mind telling everybody a little bit about Michael McQueen? Yeah, so personally, I live in Sydney, didn't grow up here, grew up in Wollongong, but have lived in Sydney for like 16 years, a wife, little boy who's six, so that's like family life. And in terms of what I do professionally, I've been doing this for 18 years. Um, so. And when I say this, so this is like writing and researching, speaking at conferences, and I love it. Yes, I started back in 2004. COVID's been messy, obviously, for the events industry, for like anyone who's in this world. But it's been interesting even like pivoting to Zoom and doing this sort of stuff for presentations. Still like three or four or five conferences a week. And that's been sort of the case for like 18 years. So I do and I love it. Absolutely love it. Do you find as well, Michael, that being that you're doing things online so much now, and we've we've got this technology at our fingertips, and technology is going to be the conversation of the day today, are you doing even more speaking events than you were before now that you're able to pivot to that online environment? Yeah, uh, probably not more necessarily in terms of the frequency, but I'm finding the reach of them is interesting. So yeah. um, there's a big direct selling company in America um, who had me speak at their like their sales kickoff event in September last year. So this was their global kickoff event. And so normally they have it somewhere in the US and they'll have like, I don't know, 13, 14,000 people in the room. So we had, what did we have dial in? It was a staggering number. It was like 50, 55,000 dialing wow. in this event. And it was across yeah. like 120 countries and like just amazing. the ability to, to scale things really quickly. Like yesterday I had a session for um, an organization I've been an ambassador for for years, um, Rotary International. Yep. So I love what Rotary do and I've sort of been a big supporter of them for lots of years. So I spoke at their incoming leadership summit yesterday. So all their incoming district governors from around the world. So 
What was really cool is, um, so I had to pre-record it because I had to it, get it translated into like 12 languages or something. Oh, wow. So I did this pre-record just before Christmas and we had like 1,600 people from, again, about 120, 130 countries dialing it all in their native dialect. And the best part was, so we've got a boat and yesterday I spent the day on the boat writing and I'm like, while I'm doing that, the session's going live around the world. So, like, yeah, so this, I mean, it's been It's bizarre, time, isn't it? <laughs> it is bizarre. And it's a time that none of us would have chosen. Like, I mean, mm. it's been a horrible two years for a lot of us in lots of different yeah. ways. But there's been some great stuff as well. And certainly the scalability of influence has been pretty cool. Yeah. We had something really similar happen last year. Um, we were speaking for the Malaysia DSA conference. Yep. And it was all pre-recorded, of course, because of the time difference. And they also had to translate us into... Four different dialects for the purpose of that yep. um, event and they had we you know green screen behind us so we were superimposed onto their stage it was amazing yeah. technology and uh, I sat there with my kids on my lap and said watch mum's about to speak at a conference and the kids sat there and watched it and it was amazing, it was hey? you know in your track pants and <laughs> yep but look, Michael, first of all, I've got to say huge congratulations. You've won some very, very prestigious awards uh, as one of Australia's top speakers. I've got to ask you, you know, you've come from a background of marketing and research. How do you go from that to being one of Australia's top speakers in trend forecasting? You know, I guess in some ways, so like after uni, that was where I went into was particularly in the software tech world and the marketing um, space. And that was really interesting. I did spend a, about two years in that world before I sort of launched off on my own and started yeah. what I'm doing now. But the journey to sort of get into this actually sort of goes back to when I was about eight. Um, so my parents were in direct selling. So I grew up as a direct selling kid. And in fact, one encouragement I give to you if you're dialing in today. And I think for a lot of parents, there's that pang of like, am I, you know, am I home enough? I know I'm out building my business. You know, how do mm -hmm. I juggle that with being a mum or a dad? And yeah. there's, I mean, I know that tension. I saw that even with my own parents as they built their business. But yeah. I mean, I just straight off the bat, one of the encouragements I give you is the, the example and the inspiration you give to your kids by them seeing you follow your dreams and work yeah. hard and build something is massive. Like it's just, so that was my frame of reference. I grew up watching my parents not do the normal thing, but like strive and achieve. And so much of what I do now is because of that influence of yeah. the direct selling industry, which is sort of special. Um, but what was interesting is back when I was eight, just after my parents joined the company that they were with, um, the babysitter fell through. We were, had to drag, we were dragged along to a conference in <laughs> Melbourne. And so that was me and my four brothers sitting at the back with coloring in books. Um, and um, there was I can just uh, right now already feel the, the pain of your parents. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then my poor parents, I mean, they'd, you know, they'd piled us all into the Tarago, which kept like the radiator kept blowing up. I think we had to pull over twice on the way to Melbourne and get it like fixed. Like, it was just, it was, a, it was a big week for them, I know. Like, and the babysitter then fell through. But we're sitting there, like these sliding doors, pivotal moments. Hey, like, because I'm sitting there as an eight-year-old watching a speaker from America named Florence Litauer. Mm -hmm. who some listeners, if you've been around the industry for a while, may know, I think she passed away last year at like 90-something years of age, an extraordinary woman. She yeah. wrote a book on personality profiling back when that, before it was sort of like a you know super fashionable thing to do your profile, yeah. your personality profile. She was already researching in that space. Wow. I was transfixed as an eight-year-old. Like this woman was an extraordinary communicator, like held this yeah. room of 3,000 people, like it was just silent, like captive. And, and so I, even as an eight-year-old, I remember walking out with mum and dad and saying, that's what I want to do. Like, that's what I want to do. Like, that wow. was the moment. And so that what I do now is really that that was the genesis moment as an eight-year-old. So um, I was always sort of interested in this world of speaking and writing, had been working in that marketing role in the tech world for a while, 
met a few people. Lisa McGuinness-Smith was one of those who I know that you know very well. Yep. And a couple of other people who were doing it, got a bit of mentoring from them and then set off on the journey. So initially my research, because I was young, I was only 22 when I started doing this, mm -hmm. I'm like, being young is tricky from a credibility perspective, but I thought being young is valuable if my focus is youth culture and what's happening in, in the mindsets of young people. So that's where I started. So I wrote a book back in 2005 or 2006 looking at Gen Y and millennials and how they're thinking, how to bridge the gap, how to yeah. lead them, and then it all sort of grew from there. So, yeah, so nine books later, that's sort of wow. the that I'm in. Yeah, so I'd, the scope's broadened over the years from looking at generational demographic trends, looking at technology trends, social yep. trends. Probably the most interesting research I did was a couple of years in the middle there where I wrote a book about you know, what what I see in organizations that stay at the cutting edge and leaders and individuals that stay at the cutting edge over time. How do they do that? Like, you know, every business has the, you know, the ups and downs, the peaks and the mm -hmm. troughs, but why do some come back and stay, you know, maintain momentum over yeah. time where others don't? So that was probably the research that I found just most interesting. And yeah, I mean, you see that in direct selling all the time. So that's that's the path for me to getting into what I do now. It's just, it's an interesting world. I love it. Yeah, awesome. And it, there is so much fascinating stuff, I think, particularly in um, the world that we're in right now. There always is, let's face it. But yeah. there is so much going on at the moment. It feels like, you know, I know to some it feels quite overwhelming because there is so much change and shift. So I guess what, what I'm really interested to hear from you today what a you know, if, if we were to sort of narrow everything down, you know, there's so much that we could speak on. But yep. What would be three key trends you see coming or unfolding at the moment that are likely to affect the direct selling industry the most? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, that's such an important question because what's been interesting about the last two years, and there's a great insight in some commentary I read um, last year from Lauren Padelford, who's a VP at Shopify over in the US, mm -hmm. and he said, you know, COVID has acted like a time machine where it brought the 2030s forward to the 2020s. And that, like, that's so true. Like, there are mm -hmm. so many trends that, honestly, we probably wouldn't have seen hit until the late 20s or the early 20, 2030s, but have materialized or are materializing because of this pandemic and what we've all just gone through. Yeah. So from a direct selling perspective, a few that really stand out to me, the first one is around what they often call social commerce or live streamed e-commerce. Mm -hmm. So this is a trend that in some particular markets right now is massive and in other parts of the world, we haven't even heard of it. So in Australia, yeah. that's not really something that's on our radar, but watch out because it's coming and it's massive. It's very exciting from a direct selling perspective, because in many ways, it's actually what the direct selling industry has always done, but it's doing it with technology and at scale. So yep. if you want think about what live streaming e-commerce is, so it's basically people talking about products or services in the format of a live stream, a bit like the home shopping network. And then mm -hmm. while people are watching in app, they can click on a button built into the system to purchase a product that's being talked about. So it's basically well, yep. sharing reviews or testimonials or what your experience with the product has been, then people can buy it there and then on the spot. So in China, China's massive from a live stream e-commerce perspective. There's about three sites that are the big ones um, for this in China at the moment. So get this, last year, 39% of Chinese consumers purchased a product through a live stream. Wow. So this is 9% of all e-commerce in China right now yep. is, is using this. So in the West, we're beginning to see elements of this creeping in. So Mary mm. Kay, for instance, have done some interesting stuff. Amway, in fact, in the last couple of months, have really focused on arming their distributors or IBOs with a platform to be able to do the same sort of thing for their own products. Yep. Um, so I think we've seen a couple of things begin happening, but watch that space. So the first one will be live streamed e-commerce. Mm -hmm. The second one that's going to be really interesting is the whole trend around augmented and virtual reality, mm -hmm. what that's going to look like for the industry, where suddenly people will be able to experience our products in a yep. way they've never been able to experience them before and being able to do that digitally. 
So, for instance, L'Oreal, I mean, from a cosmetics perspective, they've gone big time into this. So, L'Oreal developed, in fact, they bought a site called, uh, an app called Modiface a few years ago. Modiface allows you to basically try on cosmetics in app on your phone. Yep. And it was sort of a clever thing because they bought it. They they bought this and built the technology just before COVID hit. And so, of course, when stores were closed, you could actually then try cosmetics Timely. on, yep. on your phone. Amazing, like brilliant timing. So, if you look at L'Oreal using augmented reality, and this is where I think direct selling, this is, we're going to come into our own in this space in the next mm-hmm. little while. Pre-pandemic, 13% of their sales globally were through digital channels. Today, it's 24%. Wow. And it's largely driven yeah, by augmented reality. So, mm-hmm. and the last trend, I think, would be the demographic one. You're looking at Gen Zs coming through who... Their whole approach to life and the economy is different for them. They've grown up in the gig economy. So the idea Mm. of having a job and then doing a few things outside of that is not unusual or weird. So the idea of what direct selling offers for Gen Zs, particularly Gen Zs who really love and value their freedom. And Mm. they've been able to work remotely in the last two years. And as they're getting asked to come back into offices, and we've heard a lot about the great resignation in the last few months, Mm. people going back to work going, I don't want to do this anymore. They're looking for something different. They want to work for themselves. And I think Gen Z as a cohort, are really exciting as well. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. All three of those things that you brought up really tapped into three key questions I wanted to ask you about today. So oh, this will yep. be good to unpack. Um, let's start with the first one that you mentioned, which is uh, you're talking about the live streaming. I really see that being a fantastic opportunity, particularly in this industry, with live uh, online parties and events. And I can see yeah. some amazing opportunities in that space. When we talk about Facebook and, you know, let's let's talk about the big change that we've just seen come about, you know, with Facebook changing its its umbrella company name to Meta. Yep. What do you see ahead for, for Meta? You know, like I get asked, I reckon, on a daily basis now, you know, is, is Facebook going to go away? Like, will it disappear one day? What will happen? And we did see, you, you probably recall the day that Facebook decided to go down for, I think it was six or eight hours, and everyone just went into this mass panic. Yeah. I kind of remember maybe eight, nine months ago now. Yeah, um, and yeah. then there was all this talk about it. Is this just, is Facebook going to ever come back? So what do you see lies on the road ahead, you know, for Meta, for Facebook? Yep. So, I mean, the best way to look at Meta as a brand, so, I mean, for instance, we talk about Google all the time, but Google Mm. isn't owned by Google. Google is a subset of Alphabet, which is a much bigger company, essentially, Mm. it's the parent company of Google, and that's very similar. So I think we'll keep talking about Facebook, but Facebook's overarching brand or business will be Meta, but under that will be Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and then Oculus, which is the headsets they produce for virtual Mm -hmm. reality and other things as well. So Facebook ain't going anywhere anytime soon. What's interesting though about Facebook is they've lost their cool factor with Gen Z. So Gen Z typically aren't on Facebook. They are on Instagram, but more importantly, they're on TikTok. Mm-hmm. That's where Gen Z are right now. In fact, last year over in the US, TikTok overtook the amount of time spent watching TikTok was higher than the amount of time spent watching YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, so we've seen a brand, like a, an app like that come out of nowhere and it, it is the darling for, for Gen Z. So you've got Facebook are developing Reels, which is their attempt to you know, do yeah. what TikTok have produced. I think they, they could make it work, but it's tricky because Facebook's on the nose branding-wise. Their brand has really taken a beating and for some really good reasons. They've misused our data in some cases, but also that what they often call the Facebook papers last year that were released through the Wall Street Journal, looking at data that Facebook are well aware of around the impact that Instagram's having on 13 and 14, 15-year-old girls yeah. around body image and self-esteem, yeah. and they know the stuff's happening and they're not mm. doing enough about it. So there's a couple of things with Facebook that are interesting, like their brand is on the nose, particularly with younger consumers. So their big focus is will they try and reach out to that group? or will they just keep focusing on Instagram? 
But also outside of all that, Meta, which is the you know, metaverse is their big focus in the next little yeah. while, they may well build the metaverse, but it'll be other applications that'll be the on-ramp or entryway into that. But that's not new. I mean, most of us use Facebook on phones that are built by Google or Samsung or, or Apple. You know, we're on an iPhone using that. And what we're going to see in the next probably 12 months is um, Apple probably the ones to watch because they're going to build these. There's only a couple of prototypes floating around. No one really knows what they look like yet, but they're building augmented reality glasses that their vision is within a decade to yes. see these glasses replace iPhones. So instead of engaging through with the world through our phones, engaging with them through these glasses. So I think mm -hmm. we'll probably see people using Meta's product and the metaverse they're going to build, but they may well access it through different pro products or, or yep. Ron ramps than just using apps that Facebook have built themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see um, that there's lots happening in that space. And, uh, you know, there was a, a presentation that Mark Zuckerberg did a few months back where he spoke, you know, when they did that brand change where he spoke about the metaverse. So if you're wondering, you know, what's Michael talking about, you know, <laughs> he he actually does some little demonstrations to walk you through what he sees coming for yep. the metaverse. Um, so I, I do, we'll put that in the show notes, that that link to that little presentation by Mark. It did go pretty viral. So I would imagine most people have seen that by now, but um, it was very interesting to see that. And this kind of leads into the next question because off the back of that presentation, I thought, well, do you know what? I, I really need to, to get myself an Oculus and get a little bit more familiar with, you know, I, we've used them before other people's, but I thought, yep. you know what? We need to get our own. We want to check this out. And particularly, I was very interested in the new workplaces that they were talking about. Yeah. The fact that you'll be able to, you know, you mentioned people quitting their jobs because they're thinking oh, this work from home thing was much better and I don't want to go back to that corporate workplace environment. And Facebook, in a sense, or Meta, is making a way for people to do that by starting workplaces. So essentially, the way I see it, and you, you might have some, you know, you might want to correct me here, but my understanding of this is that they're looking at you can make a workplace where everyone chucks their glasses on, their virtual reality glasses, they can be sitting on their couch in their underwear and they can go into their office wearing whatever outfit they yep. want. They're talking, uh, speaking with their, their co-workers and they're working in a, an office environment. Yep just like they would in person. It's essentially, it's creating another world. It is, yeah. I, know, I would say, so um, this is probably going to be the thing that will cause the metaverse or virtual reality become super mainstream is because it's mm -hmm. going to be so much better for the workplace. From a consumer perspective, the jury is still out as to exactly what the metaverse will look like from a, you know, from a purchasing products going to virtual stores. We're seeing a couple of examples being trialed now, but I think Let's say, so this morning, in fact, I did a session with a group of CEOs and I was talking about what Facebook or Meta have built in this regard. So the, the thing to look out for is called Horizon Workroom. So yeah. Horizon is going to be the overarching brand for all of their metaverse tools for engagement and collaboration. Mm -hmm. Workroom is what is the workplace-focused one. And I actually saw a demo of this a little while back and it's pretty clever. So to your point, you could actually pop on a, a headset, work on a, a remote laptops. In other words, tapping away, the laptop's not there, but you're tapping on a virtual laptop. Yeah. <laughs> you're speaking with colleagues. And as you hear them speak from the other side of a boardroom or a meeting room, you'll hear them speak from the direction that they're speaking from. Wow. Like it's a much more immersive experience. And mm -hmm. chatting with this CEO group this morning, I'm like, the reality is if you've got a, a, an organization where more people, more people are going to be working remotely, it's a whole lot cheaper and easier to buy everyone in your organization an Oculus headset for two or three grand, yeah. rather than having them set up with the desk and the chair and the laptop and then the privacy settings and like 
all the stuff required to move your employees home and work remotely, much easier to do that all through one device, one headset. Mm. So I think that's going to be the one to watch. And they're not alone. So there's a, um, one called, um, so um, Microsoft Mesh is Microsoft's focus on this. Also, mm. I was reading about one yesterday called Arthur, um, just like the name, it's called Arthur, and it's a brand new app all focused on um, metaverse um, collaboration. So there's a bit of an yeah. arms race going on right now to make this stuff a reality. So it's going to be a very yeah. interesting one to watch. Yeah, it's it really is. And, you know, I, I had to laugh. We got this this Oculus rocked up and I had it sitting. I was just thinking, I love tech. I get excited by tech, but I had it sitting yep. here thinking it's another thing I'm going to have to unbox and learn, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Get to that later. And I sat it next to me up on, on the, the shelf and a few days later, I'm thinking, oh, I've got to get to that, got to get to that. And my son, who is, uh, he's just turned 13, he, he came into the office, he got home from school and he literally walked in the door I saw him look behind me and his eyes just went like saucers, his mouth yeah. dropped, and he looked at me and he went, Mum, whose is that? And yeah. I just went, it's it's an Oculus. Do you know what an Oculus is? And he goes, Mum, how do you know what an Oculus is? Oh, yeah, you old thing. How do you know? It's amazing, <laughs> isn't know. it, hey? Oh, I said, yep. honey, that's mine. And he went, <laughs> you are the coolest mum in the Brilliant. whole world, Own can it. you Own please that. let me unbox that? <laughs> I thought, here we yeah. go. So here I was thinking, cutting edge, you know, we've yep. got this new piece of equipment that we're going to learn, we're going to get a, a handle on, and, you know, he's walked in the door and gone, I know what that is, oh, yeah. that's yep. really cool. So the, it sort of leads into the next thing here, but what I will say just about virtual reality, we've played in this space for a while, it's not brand new, um, I know that there's been, uh, you know, even from the real estate perspective, it's been really powerful because um, the ability for a real estate agent to take someone in a different country yep. right now through a home yep. virtually by simply getting them to put on a virtual reality headset. And that's been yeah. going for a while, taking people through a car, yep. you know, which is amazing, amazes me. But I want to talk about the younger ones now because yeah. um, you've mentioned different generations um, uh, already and I want to just clarify some things here because I know there's a lot of confusion. We talk about general shi uh, generational shifts. We talk yeah. about Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials. And I just, can I get your clarification for our yeah. listeners on yeah. what those generations are? What sure. do they look like? What are the clear differences between them? Okay, so in terms of birth years, and I never use firm years, like as in starts in this year mm -hmm. and finishes, because that's like, that's not how human nature works. So <laughs> I'm born, I was born a second later, so I, I need to be different. I yeah. know, like it just, that's not reality. So, I mean, for instance, you can be born in a generation, but not be classic of your peers because yeah. maybe you're the youngest of four kids and you've got three siblings in the generation up and they almost, they drag you up in terms of yeah. what they, what you grew up listening to is their music and watching their TV shows. So like all those things become, you know, essentially you're a generation skipped forward. So it, yeah. it is, it's not a cut and dried thing. So millennials and Gen Y are actually the same group. So that's important to get clear up front. So we call them Gen Y, as did the Brits, as did the South Africans, as did the Canadians. The Americans called them millennials. So that name, the idea behind the term millennial, millennials, they will be the first generation to graduate college in the new millennia. That yep. was it. That was the reason for the name. So um, over time, because Americans kept calling them that, other countries just sort of gave up and said, well, let's just okay. all use the same title <laughs> and we'll all do what we always do, which is defer to America and we'll just call them millennials as well. So Gen Y millennials are the same group born in the early 80s through to the late 90s. So that's yep. the Gen Y millennial cohort. Gen Z come next, so they're the late 90s through to the early 2010s. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that comes Generation Alpha. Now, 
Reason, of course, being is because we ran out of letters. Like, you, you start at, if you start at X, you're going to run out pretty fast. And so we've sort of gone back to Generation Alpha, which is what we've got in our family, little Alpha. Um, and he's, you know, he's six. So he's like yep. in that cohort well and truly. And what's interesting about them is that like they, the influence of the pandemic is going to be interesting to watch for them. Because mm. you get a lot of kids. So if you, if we had some friends over on Australia Day, then we haven't seen them since before the pandemic. So two years, they've had a kid since then. The kid's about 18 months old. And he was so nervous to be in a house with other people he didn't know. Yeah. Or an environment, like clinging to mum. You know, mm. So I think it's going to be very interesting to watch that group because this has been their frame of reference. But I was reading an interesting article last week looking at the psychological impact of the pandemic. And this psychologist was saying it'll probably be the kids who are aged 10 through to 16 who will... Um, who will be the most impacted over the next decade because they had freedom pre-COVID, they knew what that was like, and then they lost it for a chunk of time. Yeah. And those early to mid-teen years where you're discovering who you are and finding your identity, I mean, there's so much about socialisation that's essential. Mm. That's like the, that's the crucible time of our development identity-wise. So that will be interesting to watch. But for like our little one, like he's sort of, I mean, pandemic, he gets it, but like it's, I think over time, hopefully he'll revert back to the way things have been once things do settle down. So yeah. that's that generation alpha group. But Gen Z are the ones to really watch at the moment. That's where mm. a lot of my work at the moment, research-wise, is from a trend perspective is because, I mean, the oldest of them are 22. And so, or 23, like they, they, they're they yeah. becoming like proper adults. And and they're different. They're different to millennials. I mean, some of the differences that are really key with them, their focus on sustainability and equity are unlike anything we saw in millennials. Millennials mm. have got like, they're sort of interested in the environment and all the rest of it. And diversity and inclusion for Gen Z, it's like it is the oxygen they breathe. That's all they've known. And so you look at a site like Etsy. Last year, Etsy, I think it was in August last year, forked out $1.6 billion to buy an app called Depop. Now, most of your most people have heard of Etsy. Not many of you probably have heard of Depop. Your kids, though, if you've got kids in that Gen Z age bracket, they all know Depop. Right. All right. Ask the kids. It's an app. It's an <laughs> I'm app. I'm going to be going home tonight. That's exactly. It. Check it out. So Depop is an app for selling used clothing. It's like a second. Wow. Hand. Okay. So clothing, goods, all about their focus on like the circular economy and sustainability. Mm. It's massive. I mean, if it's, if you don't fork out about one point point six billion dollars to buy something that's not big. Um. So. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that gives you a sense of just how different gens that are from that perspective. I mean, in terms of the technology they engage with it's got to be on their phones no point sending them something's going to be on a bigger screen it's got to be yeah. video first rather than um, text driven so mm -hmm. yeah, there's a couple of really interesting things we're seeing about them uh, they're far more inclined to video game rather than watch movies and even tv shows which is interesting for them gaming is a big part of how they connect with their friends how they you know how they have that sense of social connection but also the way they get entertained Mm. It does bring in the whole virtual reality side of things, doesn't it? Because yeah. it kind of combines the two. It's almost like gaming to interact in, yeah. a, in a way. I want to come back to something you said before, actually, and I, I, I meant to jump at it earlier, so I'm going to take a little bit of a, a, a bum here for a second. Yeah. I want to just quickly talk to you about TikTok because this is something I know when you said it, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be going, oh, whoa, hang on a minute here. <laughs> TikTok's been one of those things that's been a little bit controversial in this industry yeah. over the last, 12, 18 months, yep. um, they essentially, for the most part, banned direct selling through TikTok in the US. And that's yep. been a, a bit of a question in a lot of people's minds. Will that also, you know, happen in Australia? Do we bother putting our time and effort into TikTok? Where do, where do you see TikTok going in the, the coming, say, 12, 18 months? You know, do you think it's going to continue on the rise? Do you think it's something for people to be aware of? Do they dabble in that space? What's your take on all of this? Uh, this is where it does get tricky because from an industry perspective, you're hamstrung with, t with mm. TikTok, but it is where your future marketplace is hanging out right now. Mm. 
in terms of the amount of time people are spending on TikTok. So, for instance, you look at like one of the TikTok stars, so Charlie D'Amelio is her name. She's a, a, a dancer in the US who produces TikTok content. Last year, she earned $13.4 million. Wow. Like the don't, my kids, I don't want my kids to listen to this. Like, They'll be like, honestly, I'm going to be. Like, <laughs> the, the scalability of this platform is extraordinary. Now, I, I initially held off it because I thought, you know, up to me, the security concerns about it being yeah. owned by a Chinese state-run entity, I'm like, how does that work in terms of security? Mm. So I was encouraged to see there was a report released in October last year by a combined group in Canada and in the UK that went deep into the data to understand what's happening in the app. Are there any security risks? And they basically gave it the green light, said it's, it's safe. Wow. So that's okay. encouraging because I wasn't sure at first. Um, but yeah, from a, a, a direct selling perspective, it is tricky. Like I think mm. for the medium term, we've probably I wouldn't be investing too much money and time because you can't really build a business there. Even if they like sort of, even if you could find a loophole to get around it, at the moment it, it's, it's, it's a tricky environment because they're on the lookout for shutting mm. down or, or sidelining direct selling content. So yeah. Instagram is probably still going to be a better place to hang out and obviously Facebook. But again, for that younger cohort, yeah, that's not where they're hanging out the most. So TikTok's tricky. Instagram's probably a better place to be investing time and energy yeah. right now. And so Facebook, um, as you mentioned, we've spoken about a little bit. Uh, it's not in Australia yet. It's on its way. It's currently, I believe some people in New Zealand have it and it's, it's certainly rolling out in the US is reels on Facebook, which is Facebook's way of incorporating TikTok, essentially. Yeah. Do you see that succeeding? It might. Um, their technology will be great. I mean, t mm. t Facebook are really good at ripping off other people's technology. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Whatever, like if Snapchat does something, Facebook copied it. I mean, Instagram in the same way before they even owned it, they copied Instagram's format for stories. So they'll build something. The bigger issue for Facebook is the brand. The brand. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just for a lot of Gen Zs, it's it's not cool. It's where their mm. parents hang out or it's got all the issues around, you know, it's too political or polarizing or all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It'll be an interesting one to watch, I think, over the yeah. coming, uh, I, I think the coming 12, 18 months will be, yeah, a very interesting time when it comes to Meta, yeah. Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the introduction, or it's not an introduction, but I guess the expansion of this metaverse and virtual reality world. Just for our listeners, do you mind just um, clarifying the difference between AR, augmented reality, and VR, yeah. virtual reality? Good question. So augmented reality is where you augment, lay something over the reality you're experiencing. So this would be something where you might hold your phone up, for instance, and what gets overlaid on your phone screen is overlaid on what you're seeing through the camera on the other side. So we've mm -hmm. seen things like, well, L'Oreal's example is augmented yep. reality. Um, Ikea developed a thing in 2020, we could hold your phone up to a room in your ho house and then load different pieces, pieces of furniture and move your phone around the room to see what those bits of furniture might look like and then yep. buy them. So that's augmented reality. Virtual reality is where you essentially replace what you're experiencing and seeing. And often that requires putting a headset on and going into an alternate reality. So virtual reality, which is that Oculus headset you were talking about, yep. is much more immersive. Mm -hmm. um, it can be quite disorienting. What I it absolutely is. is. Oh, yeah. yeah, you can easily, like, trip over stuff, have no idea which way you're facing. Like, you know, it is, it's, it mm -hmm. takes a bit of getting used to. Um, mm -hmm. And what's amazing to me is how quickly our senses forget that yeah. we're in the virtual environment. Yep. That, yep. That, that's what's really interesting. And so the, the example of what Meta are developing with Horizon Workroom, the person I spoke to who trialed this said, it's amazing, it was nothing like being on a Zoom call for an hour. You know, there's that Zoom fatigue we all mm -hmm. get. Mm -hmm. in, in Horizon Workroom, not at all. Like you were just, within a few minutes, it felt like you were in that space yeah. virtually speaking to other people's avatars. It mimicked, mimicked your 
gestures, your, yeah. your body language. So far, far more immersive and less taxing um, than other yep. platforms. In some ways, yes. In other ways, when you take that headset off, it takes a bit for your head to, yeah. and it's like this crazy buzz. You know, we talk about how technology, social media, phones, all this sort of stuff wires our brains. Yeah. And I, when I have used the Oculus and I, I did a few, you know, we did a few boxing classes and things and I went shark diving, incredible. Yeah. You take that thing off and it, it you can almost hear your head buzzing for a while after that yeah. just takes time yep. for you to settle back down. I definitely Absolutely. wouldn't recommend it right before bed, that's for sure. Correct. And that, I mean, that, a big part of the research that I did around like that theme around how to build momentum and get into that flow state, so much of the research points to the importance of managing distraction yep. and you know, getting into that flow state. So it's a mental game. Um, mm. And I think this is going to be one of the big things is we've seen, of course, technology and smartphones especially erode our capacity to focus to be in the moment and to do one thing and do it well. And I think we'll probably see the same sort of thing continue to happen as a result of virtual reality. We've got, we've got to set some boundaries for ourselves. Just yeah, absolutely. From in terms of being productive, but also just our mental health. And that's going to be really important. Yeah. Um, so look, there's so much I could ask you around all of this. Um, I want to I want to steer back towards the the generations for a little moment. Yeah. You've got little Max, um, yeah. who is a little alpha. We've got a house filled with uh gen z so um I, you know you can feel sorry for me i'll <laughs> <laughs> yep. but, but the challenge we've got now and and i'm really noticing this is you know i grew up in a time uh, as and I, i'm on the cusp of millennials so i grew up in a time when i remember a world without internet i remember a world when internet got in, introduced i remember when mobile phones started to come out do you know what, Michael? I actually remember faxing being cool. My yeah. best friend and I used to draw pictures to each other and fax them to each other while we were meant oh, to be yeah. doing our homework at night. Yep. My kids don't know what a fax is. Yep. So we're in a world now where we're trying to bring up children in a world where it is completely unavoidable, yeah. the technology that surrounds us. And, you know, part of you goes, no, they have to learn how to be without it. They have to learn how to converse with other people without it being through technology. They need to learn how to hold conversations, you know, and there's this real, you know, I know a lot of parents that listen to this podcast will feel the same way. There's this real, when is it appropriate? How is it appropriate? And what do you do? Because, you don't want to hold them back from a world that they are destined to live in. But mm. at the same time, there's a balancing act and it's, you know, how do we, and I know you can't give us the all, all of life's answers right now. I'd love it if you could, by the way. But I'd love to hear your take on this. You know, how do you adapt to this yep. as a parent who grew up without it to help your children in a world where it's unavoidable? Well, I mean, the solution isn't to block everything entirely or treat everything that's new as the enemy because that's that's mm. one sure way to ensure your kids uh, rebel and oh, yeah. try and get around you. I mean, <laughs> I remember years ago we were in America on a book tour and we're going through Pennsylvania near where the Amish country is, like where all the Amish people mm -hmm. live, and we did a, like a tour because I was so intrigued with that little subculture. Yeah. Fascinating talking to the Amish people who do their best to keep all technology at bay. Mm -hmm. And then like, oh, oh, this is beautiful family we were at their, at their farm doing a tour and they said, oh, are you around tonight? Do you want to come back for dinner? Like such a cool experience. You know, so yeah. we went back and had dinner with this family. There's six kids and no technology, no electricity, like just off the grid. In mm -hmm. I wish I could have taken photos. But we, you know, out of respect, left our phones back in the hotel room. Yeah. But like 
an amazing. And then I said to them, but how are your young people actually going with this, particularly as technology becomes mm-hmm. more and more a part of life? And they said, yeah, it's, it's actually increasingly a battle even for us. He said, you know, our kids sneak phones into their rooms. Like so even in that environment, with tr- there's no one I know that's tried as hard to keep technology as, at bay as that mm. culture, and even they are struggling. So that's not the solution. And I think everything in moderation really is the answer. And so we find with our little one, much easier as a, he's only six. Different if like they're 12 and 13 and 14. Like in some cases, the horse is bolted in a case it's trying to rein back in and yeah. set boundaries. So at the outset, we've tried to be super intentional about screen time. He does not know the passcode to my phone at all, and I will never tell him. Yep. Um, and as soon as he finds it out by watching me put it in, I'll, I'll swap it or I'll just rely on face recognition to unlock it. Because So for us, like that, he doesn't use our devices unless we turn something on for him. Yeah. Um, school days, no technology in the mornings. We just find for him if he's watched any Netflix in the morning or TV in the morning, he's just revolting at school. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, it just shifts there. Like, we all you see can it, like, feel it. You can see it. Yeah. So it's like just school days, it's a no go. On the weekends, is okay. So we just try and set some of those boundaries in place. Yep. When it comes to the next level, because like, it's only a few years away for us where like video gaming becomes a big part of their life already. A few of the neighbors have got video games. Mm-hmm. So he goes to their place and says, oh, this is awesome. I want to play that as well. I mean, Roblox, for instance, which is a big part of Gen Z's life. So Roblox has got 50 million users up from like 31 million last year. Two thirds of them are under 13. Uh, Roblox is massive. And so yeah, my, my kids, have, I've, I keep oh, seeing it popping up on my, my oh, phone. Yeah. And the Minecrafting as well. I thought that was old Absolutely. school. Um, it's, it's really come back. The kids are, yeah. <laughs> I had two of them yelling at each other on the yep. couch the other day through the computer. Yep. Um, yep. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think setting boundaries, and I would err, always err on the side of old school. Okay. Um, yeah. Because that's the, comforting. The, like you know, <laughs> the fear, the fear of what if I hold my kids back and they don't know how to use the technology. Let's say, for instance, let's let's play this out. Let's say your sixteen or seventeen year old gets to the point where they've been held back from technology because you've set boundaries in place, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they need to start using these technologies. It'll take them about four nanoseconds to learn it. Oh yeah. Like it's not going to take them long to catch up. If yeah. that's what they need to do, yeah. But in terms of the the the, the net balance of the benefit of having those boundaries in mm-hmm. place earlier on, is massive. Like it's yeah. so significant. So the more we can set boundaries, all things in moderation, but set clear boundaries, mm-hmm. the better. That's not to say it's easy, but yeah, I would not be too concerned about holding them back. They'll yeah. figure it out later in life when they really need it and when they can actually cope with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, the, we actually had a, a speaker come to our um, children's school a few months back who was very much on the opposite side where, you know, his attitude was due to the development of the teenage brain, that you absolutely shouldn't let them touch technology until they turn 18, preferably 20. Um, and I, here I'm sitting there thinking this wow. is impossible in this world. Like this has gone, you know, completely. To have children that are in their <laughs> Yes, and he's done this with his kids. But I'm sitting wow. here going, look, this isn't the world we live in. Like I'm, you know, Greg and I have got a mixed family. So we've got yep. other parents involved that have got yep. completely different points of view. Yep. But the the interesting thing about that was, um, you know, it, it led to a lot of discomfort, I think, to a lot of parents because they're thinking, the peer support side of things, um, sorry, peer pressure side of things, I should say. Yeah. The the attitude from the kids and most of the parents that were asking questions at the end of this presentation was, what do you do when your child feels like they are completely left out? And I think that's where yeah. they don't need technology, but they certainly, there's there's the teasing factor, there's the, the peer pressure factor. And, you know, yeah. I'm not one to say, hey, do something because everyone else does it. But, yeah. you know, it's a factor. 
Well, and just on that point, and you don't want to labour it too much, but you know, it's interesting. Remember the big, I mean, the big Victorian bushfires years ago. I remember mm. reading an interesting article with a psychologist who went into the communities in northern Melbourne that were like just decimated from the bushfires, and he was expecting the young people to have far more mental health issues than they did. And he was yeah. writing about why that wasn't the case, and he said social media helped. He said because wow. these kids may have lost their schools that got burnt down, their homes that got burnt yeah. down. But as soon as they could get phone reception again and they were back on Facebook, mm. they had their peer network immediately. Yeah, that's really good And it was just interesting. He said, I expected them to be far more sort of scarred as a result of this. But yep. because they had their friend connections, that actually mm. made a big, big difference to their sense of emotional healing. So, I mean, this, I mean there are plenty of dangers as well, obviously. Yeah. But I, I remember that vividly because I remember thinking, what a great example of mm. there, there is value in some of these connections yep. that, None of us did. So even though the costs are there, there are benefits too. Yeah, much quicker than a fax, right? Correct. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, look, thanks for speaking to us about all of this. I'm super excited to hear about what lies in the future for Michael McQueen. Yeah, well, it's um, a lot. There's some really interesting projects <laughs> I'm working on now. So there's a, a book I've been writing throughout sort of lockdown times. I've had a bit more time to sort of really sink my teeth into it. I've been really intrigued over the years about the whole thing of why people don't change even when they know they should. Yeah. Um, and even when it's in their benefit to change, why? What? what's the psychology of stubbornness about? Um, and how do you shift people's mindsets? So I'm working yeah. on a book that will come out probably early next year. So I've just sent it to the editors in the last few weeks. It's been a, the hardest thing I've ever done, actually. It's um At the moment, get this 278,000 words as a manuscript. So that's a big thing. Um, wow. So you've got to get that down to about 100,000 words because that's about... Oh, like, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I assume, but like, that's how much there was to get through. Yeah. A lot of things. and. Yep. You know, the psychology of not just stubbornness but stupidity. Why does yeah, what a fascinating topic. It's, it's been really interesting and just how we're all yeah. susceptible to that. So that's yep. what's next. So that's probably the next really interesting sort of topic and, and theme. So, yeah, watch this space. Oh, I'm excited to read that one when it comes out. That's um, definitely, you know, huge thing I think for for everybody. Um, yeah. There's not one person out there I think that can say, hey, I don't, I don't ever do that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that'll be fantastic. And uh, I'm sure that you'll share that with us when it comes out so we yeah, can well, get it yeah. out to our communities. That'll be great. So speaking of books, uh, I want to get to our fun questions here because yes, no one absolutely. escapes these. Yep. So first one is, what is your favourite book for us to add to our Accelerator book list? Well, I knew you were going to ask, so I bought it down today to show people. I've read this oh, organised. It's <laughs> so good. So this is a book over the Christmas break I read called Think Again by Adam Grant. <laughs> yep. If you haven't heard of this, brilliant book it's all about okay. the way people think and why uh, yeah. he, he talks about the importance of humble certainty there are things yep. we need to be sure that we know about but also have enough humility to go i need to always be open to rethinking it mm -hmm. and accepting different perspectives and ideas always updating our thinking so that's good i'd recommend that book excellent book love that All right i'm going to check that one out and if you could have any superpower what would that be and why <laughs> teleporting Oh man, teleporting. Totally. Yeah. Oh man. I, this, I'm, once we get back, to, as I'm starting to get back on planes and the rest of it, I mm. love travels. A, a privilege. I love it. I love the adventure, meeting people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do. It was not uncommon pre-COVID days. I'd fly to America, speak for an hour, and fly back. Oh. You know, like okay. that was. Yeah. You want the instant? Oh, <laughs> just yeah. get anyone me there. Anyone who said that just the the journey, not the destination, hasn't done a Sydney to London flight and then turn around and comes right back. Like it's <laughs> teleporting would be awesome. Awesome. I was. I did think it'd have to be something to do with travel <laughs> or technology with you. So yeah. that's no great surprise. And um, Michael, your favourite quote? 
Oh, um, one I heard earlier this week, I actually shared it with the clients I was working with this morning. I loved it. It was from Tom Peters, you know, the mm -hmm. big um, legendary book author in the 80s and 90s. And he said, he was talking about how much uncertainty there is at the moment. He said, in these chaotic times, any leader who thinks they know what they're doing is an idiot. And I just yeah, thought, I <laughs> how encouraging. You know, like, I just yeah. thought, I hadn't heard it before and I saw it earlier this week and I just thought, it's just encouragement to all of us that we're all figuring it out. Hey? Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I love that. I heard a very similar version of the same thing, which was yeah. any leader that tells you know, they know what they're doing is lying. <laughs> so, yeah, so which, true. Yeah. You know, which, whichever way you want to go, it's probably the yeah. same thing really, isn't it? Yep. Um, I love that. So good. And very last question here, Michael, if you could go back in time and say one thing to your past self, what would that be? Oh, good, great question. Oh, I think it goes to that theme, that quote that you just shared. I think particularly when you're young, going into an industry of a lot of older people, like, mm -hmm. you know, do I deserve to be in this room, on this platform, on this stage, have this audience? Um, it's easy to underestimate the fact that everyone's in the same situation. No one's mm. really quite sure that they've got it figured out. And I think that's that'd be the encouragement I'd give is that, you know, I, I, I get the chance now to work with people who are high profile, big leaders, people know their names, and you sit down with them over coffee and they're just like the rest of us going, you know what, I'm not quite sure what to do next. What do you reckon? Like, yeah. And it's, they're just they're just people, and I think we we often put people on pedestals and and underrate ourselves. That'd be the one thing I'd say. You know what? Everyone's figuring it out, no matter how it appears. Everyone's figuring yeah. it out. Absolutely, yeah, that's so true. Um, and look, it's been such a pleasure hearing from you today. And again, congratulations on on you know your nine books. Did you say now nine yeah, books? Yeah, thank you. Going to be ten, so you know it's a jubilee in book writing, right? So that's <laughs> super exciting. And, um, and of course, your amazing speaking awards. Look, it's, it's, I've seen you speak in person. Um, last year, it was, it was awesome to watch you. And yeah. I think if anyone gets the opportunity to see you in person, definitely, guys, you know, do that because Michael is an awesome presenter, but he also gets you thinking. And um, there was so much from your presentation. I just went away and went, right. Okay, but there's. I also love that you didn't overwhelm in that too. Sometimes awesome. when you hear about what's coming, you can, you know, it can feel like a little bit too much. But yeah, yeah. I love seeing the opportunity and everything that you presented. So, yeah, thank you and keep going. I, I look Pleasure. forward to seeing what comes next. Also, you had something you wanted to leave our listeners with as well. You were talking about a 60-day oh, yeah. supercharge. Yeah, so this is something I just thought I'd share this at the end in case it's helpful. A lot of like particularly when I do direct selling conferences, this seems to resonate well, particularly like because it's like the start of the year. How do you sort mm -hmm. of get into a groove for the year? Um, so I just thought I'd offer that in case that's helpful, um, like what I would normally do at conferences. So um, it's online course. It goes for like 60 days, as you would imagine. Um, the way it works <laughs> is like every few days you get a video. It's like a video coaching module. And it's all about uh, how to develop daily habits that mean you get into that flow state where you're highly productive. So dealing with, mm -hmm. dealing with distractions and the big thing too, like particularly when you've been in business for a while how, and you get into a rut, why, mm -hmm. why does a groove become a rut and how do you get back into a groove again? So how do you get your mojo back, but also how do you lead a team to do the same thing? So yep. there's a lot of content in there, a whole lot of worksheets and exercises um, in the course. So it's normally about 300 bucks, but if um, people have dialed in today want to get a copy of or get access to it, I'll put a QR code up on the screen. If you scan that QR code, QR code and just go to that website link there, and just put in the code accelerator. So if you put the code accelerator in, um, it'll be half price. So oh, fantastic. Offer that in case that's of any value. 
Awesome. I think everyone's going to love that. I'll jump onto that. I think that sounds amazing. So thank you so much for sharing and and thank you for that special offer. Guys, if you're listening to the audio of this podcast, we're going to pop that QR code and the the code accelerator as well, just in case you missed it, into the show notes. So you can grab that there as well. But definitely jump onto that 60-day supercharge. I think that's amazing. And thank you for the generosity, not only of that offer, but also of your time today, Michael. We really appreciate you. No, my pleasure. Lovely to chat. Wonderful. And thanks so much. All the very best, everyone dialing in. It's been a tough two years. Bring on 2022, hey? Hope it's yeah. a little bit more settled for all of us. Hey, bring it on. I, I think this is going to be an amazing year. That's my yeah, trend forecast for this year yep. is it's going to be an amazing year. Let's do it. Love that. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again so much, Michael. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. We look forward to seeing you again on the Direct Selling uh, Accelerator podcast next week. God bless and bye for now. If you love this video and you would love more help to improve your direct selling business on social media, then click on the link to join our Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you in there.